Welcome to another edition of Communication Mixdown. I'm Liam Armstrong. 20 women have already been killed by men in Australia this year. Four of them have been in public places in Melbourne. Courtney Heron was killed in a park by a male acquaintance just last week. Australia is a misogynistic country. Sexism is steeped into every aspect of our lives and the institutions that govern them. Naturally, it is a major factor shaping our media and the discourses it disseminates. The Herald Sun have been slammed for their recent front-page cover, linking the death of Heron to her leaving a party with her murderer. Traditional media certainly has a lot to answer for, but the advent of the internet created a platform for and encouraged communities that are based upon extreme misogyny. A recent article from The Age, tracking the stalkers, pondered, has the internet created evil or just given oxygen to existing flames of mindless bigotry? Were they correct? How should we respond? And how do we grapple with a world where women's lives online, in politics and in the media so often require enduring gendered cyber hate? Our guest today is Dr Emma Jane, a senior lecturer in the School of Arts and Media at UNSW at the University of New South Wales in Sydney and a former journalist. Dr Jane has been highly recognised for her vital research into misogyny online and gendered cyber hate. Emma, thanks for being with us on the show. Yeah, pleasure, Liam. Yeah, so let's dive into it. Um, Much of your research was inspired by observing the increase in gender-based hate you received as a journalist after the advent of the internet. Uh, Could you expand on this experience and why it informed much of your subsequent work? Why was the um, the public opening of the internet such a tipping point? Well, for me, I've been in journalism about... you know, a decade or so, writing a lot of feminist commentary. Mm. Um, and that always sort of generated some sort of snarky letters that arrived in sort of ye old snail mail mm. form. Um, and what I noticed is that, like, towards the end of the 1990s, when it became common practice for journalists to put their email addresses at the bottom of their work and... Certainly, this is something that I did too. And what I noticed is, firstly, uh, there was a a massive increase in the volume of hate mail I started receiving. So it went from, you know, one or two letters a week to literally hundreds of emails sort of every time I wrote anything. Uh, But but even more striking than that was the, the change in tone. So... It went from sort of pretty, you know, relatively polite um, letters sort of, you know, they may have been saying that I was a disgrace and I should be sacked and, you know, all of the above. But it it went from that to the most sort of astoundingly graphic, threatening, vitriolic uh, emails about, you know, that I needed to be sort of gang raped to set me right and all feminists should be sort of set to work in brothels and that would teach them and 
you know, very graphic imagery. So that, I remember that the first time I started get uh, the first week even that I got these and I was just like gobsmacked and my jaw yeah. was, was on the floor. Um, and so that sort of continued, that basically continued until I left journalism um, in 2012. And then there was a bit of a quiet period. And then when I started talking about my research into this exact area, it sort of started all over again. Um, and so what I've determined from my research is, in fact, you know, well, everyone knows now that this is sort of the price many women even actually most women have to pay for using the internet. Yeah. Well, yeah, um, it's definitely gotten worse since you started first um, observing gender um, cyber hate in 1998. Over the the preceding 10 or 11 years, the last decade, how has, um, what have been the evolutions in this arena and do you think changes are mainly driven by technological advances or cultural forces or both? Well, you know, obviously you have to have an underlying sort of culture of misogyny to produce these messages. Like, I completely disagree that, you know, that this type of misogyny was created by the internet. Mm. Like, I I think that unfortunately it has revealed, a te- you know, a, senti- a really ugly sentiment that uh, to a certain extent has always existed, but that we... Pe- in a particularly acute form uh, when there's a backlash to feminist gains and I think in this instance it's uh, part of it is a backlash to sort of popular feminism and women's ability to have a voice and a profile online I think part of it is a backlash to that but you know you know alongside all that is also the history of the internet and the fact that it, you know, ironically, it was created as this space where you were supposed to be a sort of, you know, radically level playing field where, you know, gender didn't matter, race didn't matter, class didn't matter. Mm. And so everyone would be participating sort of in this anonymous disembodied state. And it would be this, this nirvana. And the early um, sort of manifestos associated with the, the sort of countercultural. Um, sort of academic hippies, basically, that uh, really got got the internet up and running, had a vision for a very different world. And unfortunately, those um, affordances uh, of the online space, you know, have resulted in a a proliferation of, of hate speech of various kinds. You touched on it a bit, but um, you researched, for example, 52 women who had an online presence about their experiences. What were the major findings that really came through in that research? You said that it's just the price these women have to pay, but what else came out of it? Uh, Some of the the findings from that research um, included how shockingly similar the uh, hate speech that was being directed at these women in very different contexts. Mm. So I interviewed a a really very large range of of women, um, including, for instance, women from the far right Mm. and women from the far left. You know, like uh, real moral conservative um, uh, campaigners and, you know, like 
sort of sex workers and, uh, you know, really radically left feminist activists. And what was fascinating to me, firstly, that they were they were all being targeted. Mm. Uh, and secondly, that, that the material that they were receiving was interchangeable. Yeah. Uh, the only the only sort of marked dif- or the big marked difference is that for women of colour and women from you know for instance uh, women Muslim women uh, women from other cultural minority groups then they copped the full force of you know the intersectional nature of abuse so they were being attacked by misogynists. Um, abuse as well as um, racist yep. hate speech. Um, do you think um, online media platforms where women receive this hate, such as Facebook or Instagram or even um, the publishers who have the comment sections um, where a lot of this plays out, do you think they have a responsibility in terms of combating this? I do think they have a responsibility. I don't think they have the sole responsibility for mm. combating this. And certainly um, media organisations are like sort of online news organisations that are not Facebook and Instagram mm. have, for the most part, removed public comment sections simply because it was too costly to moderate yeah. them. Uh, and also, I think there is a growing realization that insisting that staff uh, be subject to, you know, randos commenting on their sort of media work might uh, actually put publishers, media publishers, at risk of uh, workplace harassment mm. lawsuits by, by their workers. Unfortunately, Facebook um, and you know, and the other tech giants, most of them also by Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, um, they don't have the you know they see themselves and in law, uh, they are not publishers. They're sort of um, you know intermediaries. Yeah, and they are not legally responsible for what people you know use their platforms for. And they show no signs of wishing to take even a modicum of responsibility for how their customers use their platforms, which is pretty out, which is which is outrageous yeah. given the kind of money that they're earning from us to not be protecting our privacy and our safety. Yeah, I think is an outrage. You said in the age that men feel that they can do this because they can get away with it. You decide what you you can do and you won't get caught um, when you're invisible. Could you expand on why, like, being anonymous and the lack of repercussions, why that just has allowed for this behaviour to fester in the way it has, even though it, we know that these impulses were always there? Like, why the, the sort of relationship between all those things? Well, Liam, there's two different issues there, the, anon- the anonymity and the acting with impunity, the yeah. acting knowing that you won't be held to account for your actions. Now, anim- anonymity was a sort of signal characteristic of cyberspace in the early year- decades of the internet. Yeah. It's actually become much harder to be anonymous online. So initially, for sure, you know, the... 
There's a, an old thought experiment um, from Plato's Republic called the Ring of Gyges, where you know people were asked to imagine what would they do if they could place a ring on their finger and they became invisible um, and they could do whatever they want without being identified and punished. You know, what would you do? What kind of person would you be? And the internet has answered that question. The early decades of the of the internet ha- have answered that question um, and shown that many of us <laughs> have decided to use uh, the privileges afforded by in, you know anonymity to engage in you know threats and hate speech. Uh, but that's actually shifting. Um, Facebook and many other platforms have real name policies now. It's become it's not impossible, obviously, but it's become much, much harder yeah. to be anonymous online. And yet the level of cyber hate is not reducing. It's continuing to climb. What that says to me is that the discourse has become normalised. People just assume, you know, you disagree with a woman online, you threaten to rape her. Yeah. Uh, that's basically, that's not hyperbole. That's mm. what happens. No, it is, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and so I think that people just see it happening all around them, that it's become, you know, a lingua franca online, yep. the rape threat. And, you know, every so often there's a, a commentator like Clementine Ford who will, you know, notice, as we so often do, that some of our most savage attackers can be easily located via their Facebook pages and their cover photo is a picture of them and their spouse and their yeah. young children. It's pretty concerning. Uh, and, and so it's quite easy to to contact them. And it would be, in many cases, quite easy for police, for instance, to track them down. But unfortunately, we're still not seeing many people apprehended. It's pretty concerning stuff. And we'll be back with um, Dr Jane in just a moment. In 2019, 3CR has the power. power. Add your support during the annual Radiothon to Power Radical Radio. Radiothon starts 3rd of June. To donate, call 0394198377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au. 3CR Radiothon 2019. Power Radical Radio. We're back with uh, Dr. Emma Jane, a senior lecturer um, at UNSW uh, who is well-versed and has published incredibly important research into misogyny online. Um, Dr. Jane, uh, Emma, you were just touching on some of the particularly horrifying stuff we're seeing in the online sphere, men who are saying stuff who, even though it could be easily traced back to them, um, there's little repercussion. Um, shifting gears a bit to your time as a journalist, anyone can see that the Australian media has a real issue with reporting respectfully on gendered violence. They often humanise perpetrators, as we saw um, with the recent Herald Sun front page that was uh, covering Courtney Heron's murder. Um, it was victim-blaming, saying that, oh, she went to a party with him. It's This is somehow reason for why what happened to her happened. Why do you think the Australian media in particular struggles so much with 
properly reporting on and responding to this very concerning sexist culture? I don't think the Australian media struggles with it more than um, the media necessarily elsewhere. But again, this reflects a long-standing conviction that men are entitled to, uh, to women, whether that's, you know, their time, their bodies, their conversation. So there's a, there is a culture of male entitlement and there is a culture of, of blaming women for the violence that they suffer at the hands of men. Yep. So again, I think the media is reflecting those broader social, uh, you know, the social standards, for want of a better word. You touched on how you interviewed both people from the left and right. There's a proven link between sexist online communities such as incels and far-right politics. In fact, a lot of people in the far-right see this as a base to grow in, um, which was a fact well illustrated when it was discovered by uh, that the man who defaced the memorial of Eurydice Dixon um, had clear links to the far-right. What do you think is the relationship between the two, if you could expand upon that? The relationship between, like... The far-right and the, the far-right yeah. and gendered cyber hate. Yeah, look, that, I mean, that the incels belong to a sort of uh, a, a loose coalition of groups online that have become known as the Manosphere. And I've looked pretty closely at some of those groups and... Their politics are really, you know, they are, as you say, on the extreme right of the political spectrum. Although there's an interesting, you know, there's some interesting contradictions um, in that, in that, for instance, there's, you know, amazingly enough, uh, sort of acceptance, for instance, of gay men in a lot of those. Yeah, no, absolutely. Homophobia. But, it, but there's an interest, you know, really kind of fascinating and odd um, embrace of, of gay men as sort yeah. of, you know, having the ultimate freedom from, you know, those horrible yeah. women. Yamala, you know, yeah. Yeah, that the other guys, um, you know, loathe, mm. but still want to have sex with, basically. Mm. Um, so those groups are complex. Um, and, you know, I guess the fact that there's a, I don't, I can, I do know about the link that you're talking about between those, you know, those, the manosphere and the far right, the political far right. But I do think it's important to remember that historically, the far left has also got a pretty dire history when it comes to attitudes towards women. Yeah. And... It may not be as um, severe as what we're seeing in terms of the overlap between the manos- members of the manosphere mm. and the, the alt-right at the moment. But, you know, if you, look, if you read some Laurie um, Penny, for instance, she's written about, you know, during uh, some of the, you know, the, the large global protests uh, left-wing protests she's been involved in and talked about some of the, you know, the, the, the number of uh, sexual assaults that occurred during some of those 
um, protest, I think it's important to remember that it's not just the, the a problem or the territory of the right. And excuse the sound of my dogs um, barking oh, in the background. Yeah. They're agreeing with everything I'm saying. Yeah, and definitely there's zero excuse when it comes to the far left doing it. Um, so... Women online have, like, responded with interesting strategies to navigate the sexist digital world. Um, For example, secret Facebook groups where women come together and name abusers. Uh, Do you have any other examples and what do you think of this sort of trend? Like of Yes, so so this belongs in a category of what I've um, sort of conceptualised as a form of what I call digilantism, so digital vigilantism. And so vigilantism, as you know, is sort of a you know DIY justice. When the when the law fails, then you take the law into your own hands, mm. and you know it gets glamorised a lot. For instance, you know feminist vigilantism it really gets a lot of media praise. Like every time women name and shame guys that have sent dick pics or you know who've sent rape threats. Like I've written articles tracking the way the international media coverage is very celebratory. And on one hand, it's fantastic to see women fighting back. It's fantastic to see people responding to uh, a lack of support from police and policymakers and platform owners. But on the other hand, it's not going to solve the problem. It puts the individual women at risk of more attacks. Um, it, It runs the risk of the kind of back and forth escalating um, antagonism that is a hallmark of the internet. Yeah. Um, but but what I guess what I've, I really sort of struggle with is that it, it puts, it doesn't sort of shame the victims, but it does put the responsibility for solving the problem back on them again. Mm. You know, so it's just a different way of doing it. The responsibility for fixing things falls back on women. And, you know, it's, a, it's really difficult. Like, I, I think that some digilantism strategies are great, but I also think that some of them go too far if what we're really wanting to do is try and solve the problem as opposed to just feel better about, you know, sort of striking back against the people who've, you know, who've upset us or, or injured us. So for women in political life, for women with online presences, for women in the media, this sort of cyber hate has a very real outcome. It encourages them not to participate in those public spheres, which obviously is of huge detriment and cost to our democracy. Um, yes. How are we and our world? Like how, what, how, you, how should we be attempting to tackle this very real and very corrosive force in society? I think that it needs to be tackled, uh, you know, it's a a multifaceted problem that needs a multifaceted bunch of solutions. And I'm interested in, you know, looking at all of the different uh, inputs that might ha- make a difference. And sorry for the sound of that 747 yeah. uh, going overhead. I'm <laughs> under the flight path in Sydney. Um, so, you know, you know we, we could look at you know any of the major stakeholders and what they could be doing 
police need to, and they are, you know, in Australia, I know uh, they are trying. They need to develop um, more sensitivity about the problem. You know, a lot of police tell women, oh, it's just the internet, take a little break, love. That's completely, Mm. you know, ridiculous and disenfranchising advice. Police need to understand more about, you know, what laws are currently available and how they can use them. They need to take women's complaints seriously. The court system doesn't have a great history of um, really of punishing online abusers. They tend to get off very lightly if they're penalised at all. Uh, there needs to be uh, an aw- you know greater awareness within uh, the court system about what this type of violence uh, involves and the kind of costs that it has. Policymakers need to revisit the legislation and overhaul it where necessary. Uh, platforms need to uh, need to be regulated. Uh, so that they have to take some more responsibility. Um, but we also need to take more responsibility as um, as individuals about the way we use tech um, and simple questions. And they, they make me sound like some old sort of do-gooding nana. But, you know, really, I, I think we do need to ask ourselves about whether what we're saying to someone through the safety of our devices and our computers, is that what we would say to them face-to-face? Like, and if, if it's not what we would say to them face-to-face, then perhaps rethink saying it. Well, we really do need to think, but more importantly, we need to respond. Thank you so much, um, Emma, for your time today. We really appreciate it. Pleasure, Liam. Have a lovely evening. Thanks. You too. That was Dr Emma Jane, a senior lecturer in the School of Arts and Media at UNSW Sydney, discussing the rise of misogynistic hate, speech, stalking and harassment online. And that's all from Communication Mixed Down this week. Thanks once again to our special guest, Dr Emma Jane. And don't forget, we'll be back at the same time next week, Mondays at 6pm.